on this episode of Jeff Does Vegas. There's no rule that says that you're not allowed to fly over pretty places when you're doing a discovery flight. Um, you, you can take off and go over Lake Mead, check out the Hoover Dam, um, you know, enjoy the, 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 the freedom of flight, um, you know, get a feel for what it is to, to be at the controls of the aircraft. Um, but yeah, you're allowed to look out the window and see some pretty cool stuff. Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 118 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get rolling on this episode of the show, I just want to take a second to thank everyone for checking out the last episode where I took a deep dive into the world of travel safety. It's been a crazy couple of years and a lot of folks haven't had much of a chance to travel. So people are a little out of practice when it comes to the little things that they can do to stay safe while on vacation. We covered pre-travel safety, hotel security, crime avoidance, and much more. If you haven't listened as of yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out episode number 117, Better Safe Than Sorry, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here we go. On to the show. Anyone who knows me well knows that I am a massive airplane nerd. I love flying and everything to do with flying. Over the course of my life, I've had the opportunity to do some really cool aviation-related stuff, from logging several hours in a Cessna in an attempt to get my pilot's license, to riding the flight deck jump seat in an airliner, to flying a full-motion Boeing 737 simulator, to visiting aviation museums all over the world. If you've ever wanted to try your hands at the controls of an airplane and see some unique sights while doing it, my guest for this episode of the podcast is the guy you need to talk to. Paul Selleck is the founder and president of All In Aviation, a unique Las Vegas-based flight school that offers the ultimate in hands-on training. Book a lesson with All In, and not only will you find yourself behind the yoke of one of their 17 aircraft, but you'll be doing it while cruising over spots like Hoover Dam, Lake Mead, and the Vegas Strip. Paul and I talked about what got him into flying, what sparked the move to Las Vegas, and what sets All In Aviation apart from other flight schools. Please enjoy my conversation with Paul Salek. I wish that I had some like big family connection story to tell you that uh, that, that that lit the fire, but um, mine was actually sort of the, the complete opposite. My 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 dad and both of my grandfathers were pastors, and I didn't want to be a pastor. Um, I, I, I very I'm still religious, but I, I didn't want to uh, have that as a job. Um, so I thought the furthest thing that I can get away from being a pastor is to be probably at flight level three five zero. Um, so that was sort of uh, what I 
what, what caused me to go explore. Um, and I explored the various universities that, uh, that specialize that and found uh, North Dakota and went there having never been in, in other than a one plane when I was six years old. So um, uh, I hoped that I liked it and it turned out that I loved it. So um, yeah, it's, it's a weird story, but that, that's my, that's my background. That is kind of a different story from the usual entry into the world of aviation. Pretty much every aviation nerd that I know of, myself included, had some sort of experience as a child, right? I mean, for me, it was my grandfather who was really into airplanes and got me really into airplanes. Other stories I've heard, it's it's people that, uh, as a kid, they went to the airport and watched airplanes land or, or whatever, but, but you did not have that at all. No, I really didn't. I just thought it would be really cool to travel around. We we didn't really travel much in my family. Uh, I'm I'm the oldest of seven, so it was really, um, you know, if, if we were going to load up in the van, um, that was a, a long road trip. Um, so I, I I had the allure of just like going places and and having some freedom. Um, so if if that's the connection, it really didn't have too much to do with you know the passion for aviation, uh, more so just uh, to to be able to to go see places. And you mentioned uh, attending the University of North Dakota, and a lot of people probably don't necessarily think of massive aviation training hub uh, when they think of Grand Forks, North Dakota, but it really is one of the best uh, flight schools and, and aviation training programs in the U.S., North America, if not the world. I would say that uh, I had no idea either. Um, and as I explored aviation sort of universities, you know, the, there's the Daytona Beach Embry-Riddle, uh, which sort of is very alluring for a you know 17-year-old kid looking to go to college. Uh, but then you you look at uh, sort of the, those top three, and you learn North Dakota is is right there, and the the cost is a fraction of what it is to co- uh, to live in Daytona Beach. So that was that was what led me in that path. Um, being that I was born and raised in Canada, I wasn't as as afraid of the cold weather as as some might be. But um, yeah, North Dakota, it's it's really amazing how many friends and connections. Um, and how big of an aviation program they have. They say you never forget your first. And I remember the very first time that um, that I found myself behind the controls of a, a small airplane. It was an absolutely amazing feeling. It was just like, wow, I'm actually doing this. Do you remember your first time you you got in a plane and and taxied out there and and took off? And, and what, what was that like for you? I do. I was like, Oh my God, I better like this. Like I moved <laughs> all the way to North Dakota. I got student loans out the yin yang. Like this is, I am, I am in it and this, this better turn out to be good. Um, and, and it, it was, it was just so much fun. The, the nice thing about North Dakota is everything is North, South, East, West. So it's very hard to, to lose your, your spatial or, you know, your situational awareness. Um, so it, it, after the the one flight, I was like, I didn't get lost. I knew where I was going, and it uh, it was it was natural. It was really a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, it, it uh, the the passion, you know, the the flame was lit at that point. When I was taking my um, my private pilot's license, which by the way, I never actually finished because it just got way too expensive for me. But um, when I was in the process of doing mine. 
I had a couple of those bizarre experiences, you know, a slightly mildly terrifying experience where my flight instructor really kind of put me through the ringer and snapped at me a couple of times, you know, don't touch that kind of thing. Um, did you have any of those kinds of experiences during, during your training, anything that really kind of freaked you out? Um, when I got to the point where I did my first spin flight, uh, where as a flight instructor, you have to do spins to, to prove to the FA that you, you can control an airplane when it becomes out of control. Um, we, we did the spins. I passed that just fine. My instructor was like, Hey, do you want to do some aerobatics? So I said, sure. I mean, we're in the aerobatic airplane. Let's, let's do it. And after we did a loop, um, he goes, uh, well, our engine just died. And I was like, oh, whatever. This is something that you, you train for almost every day. And it's a simulation. And he's like, no, 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 no. The engine seriously just died. <laughs> um, so he declared an emergency. And w- when you're doing aerobatics, you're actually close enough to the airport uh, that you, because you, you can't take much fuel, you only have enough fuel to probably fly for 30 minutes. So you sort of take off, you go fly, do loops, do all your stuff, do your spins, and then come back and have enough of a reserve. And uh, he literally just glided it into the to the runway, and fire trucks greeted us on the on the runway. So that was that was sort of if there was a scary moment, that was it. But it was really un uh, unscary because uh, we had been training for it our whole time. You always hear the stories from people after they finish their flight school and their and their flight training about the first jobs that they get, and there's a lot of kind of bizarre ones out there, you know, people that'll fly for funeral homes, moving around bodies or um, up north, working in the bush, flying and landing in these weird places. What was your first aviation related gig after you finished your training? So my first job was actually to work for the university. Um, so th- that was a pretty natural path, right? You'd, you'd get all your certificates and your ratings and that was really like a two-year interview process, if you want to call it that, because the university is watching how you progress and how you how you are as a pilot. And then um, they would hire, you know, half of the uh, the students every basically every year to to groom the next um, batch of of pilots. But when I finally got to the point where I was ready to go get a real job. Um, outside of the, you know, the nest of, of the university, uh, the World Trade Centers came crumbling down and there was no jobs to be had in commercial aviation. So um, it was like this dream that I had of going and flying, a, you know, for Delta all over the world and making big money um, sort of vanished. Um, airlines were cut in pay. They laid off a, a ton of the workforce. The, the general public was afraid to fly. Uh, countries were going to war, right? It really wasn't, uh, it was not a good time to be getting into aviation. So my sort of path was, um, it was forced a different direction. And uh, down the road from Grand Forest, North Dakota, they make um, Cirrus aircraft. And at the time, nobody had ever heard of them. It was sort of, you know, this new up and coming company. And they were, uh, they were looking for flight instructors. So I, I went and applied for a job as a flight instructor in a setting that wasn't so institutional. It was a little more, you know, it was, it was a little more glamorous because you were flying brand new airplanes, delivering them to customers. Um, so that was, that was sort of what, what got me on the path that I'm on now. And I've just, I've really never, never looked back, to be honest with you. And I would imagine that getting in as a flight instructor with a company like Cirrus, where, as you say, you're delivering to to new customers of the aircraft, 
it's a little bit different than say being a flight instructor at a flight college or at a, a flying school because you're teaching people to just fly that aircraft. It's not like you're teaching brand new people. I mean, I know when I was doing my stuff, I kind of felt bad for some of the flight instructors and some of the people yeah. that were getting in, like they were taking their lives into their own hands with these people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and I mean, the same can be true for somebody that bought their own airplane. Um, sometimes they might be a little, you know, more uh, scary to get in the plane with because, you know, sometimes having more money than brains um, isn't, isn't the best combination. But um, you know, I, I, I learned that, you know, sitting, most pilots, like if you want to fly commercially, you want to fly corporate, um, you know, your, your, your customers sit behind you, right? You're flying them somewhere and your job is to take them there. What was unique about delivering brand new airplanes is that my customer I was sitting shoulder to shoulder to, and these guys are business people. They're, you know, they're attorneys, they're car dealers, they're, you name it. They, they're, they've, there's an array of them. And I was, you know, sort of the respected individual in the cockpit that knew what they were doing and earned a lot of trust and a lot of, um, you know, sort of relationships formed um, just because of my knowledge that I was able to help them become better aviators. Um, so it, it was kind of a fun realization that some young kid fresh out of college can teach, you know, a high powered attorney how to fly an airplane. And then they, they come to you for every question that you, that they ever have. So it was, it, it's, it's really kind of a fun role to have. It's kind of funny that you bring up the whole more money than brains thing, because I remember thinking that when I was doing my ground school, my class ran the gamut of people who were there to seriously learn how to fly a plane because they had ambitions to get into the commercial aviation industry to people like myself who were doing it casually as sort of a bucket list item to the folks who it felt like they just kind of woke up that day and said, you know what I want to do today? I want to learn how to fly a plane. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I, I will say the people that they can afford it, they, they, you know, I, I, I call dollars, you know, certificates of appreciation. They, they are normally people that have earned that, uh, that, that ability. Um, they're, they're typically, I, I say that they jokingly have no brains, but they, they really actually are some of the smartest people that you could ever uh, uh, come across. But the, the, I guess the motivation is different. So um, it, it, it does run the gamut. And I would say that the, the fun ones are the ones that, that are those, you know, the entrepreneurial kind of people that uh, they, you know, the, the, the scatter all over the place. And uh, you, you end up, uh, you pick it up, you end up picking up a lot of stuff that you didn't, you won't normally get out of somebody that's just, you know, wanting to know how to do a traffic pattern. Right. Um, so let's talk about you, you making your way to Las Vegas. You've graduated at, uh, out of UND or working for Cirrus. What is it that took you to, to Las Vegas? Sure. So, um, by the time that I, uh, was, was 2008 at this point, um, I had progressed through various roles at Cirrus demo pilot and marketing pilot and stuff like that. Always wanted to get into sales. And, um, it was, I was still, a, you know, fairly young person and it was, it was a difficult role to get as a young individual. Um, so I, I got o overlooked for a couple opportunities that had come up in, uh, to external candidates and, uh, and then at that point, you know, the recession was starting to come, right, 08, 09. 
And there was an opportunity to sell pre-owned aircraft, uh, primarily Cirrus airplanes. So I, I had lots of relationships with owners that would probably one day want to sell their planes and I could make a commission off of those sales and and uh, you know, basically be a real estate agent for an airplane. Um, but I had to leave working for Cirrus. I had to do it as an independent contractor. So um, controlling my own destiny is really what it boiled down to. I didn't want to be let go in the recession because um, new aircraft sales were really starting to hurt. Everything was starting to hurt bad for the economy. And um, I, I wanted to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to go do this um, on my own, <laughs> you know, uh, at my own will. So that's what I did. Moved out to Vegas to sell pre-owned airplanes and have been doing it ever since. After the break, Paul lets us in on the future of all in aviation and shares with us his reason for initially founding the company. That's next on Jeff Does Vegas. So then let's talk all in aviation. This is your baby. This is your business. Um, What was it that spurred you on to expand beyond just selling pre-owned aircraft and and getting into all the other areas that that all in aviation is involved with? So there's 2 million people that live in Las Vegas, probably a few more now. And there was really nobody here in town that was focusing on, on Cirrus specifically. There's, there's always a lot of flight schools that will, that will have, old inexpensive airplanes to to you know cater to the to the masses but i would be here selling a you know let's just call it a five hundred thousand dollar airplane pre-owned airplane and that person needed some after um you know after sales support um i.e flight instructions so that they were safe in their airplane and there was nobody here to just take take that customer um, I of course was here, but like, you know, if somebody wants to buy an airplane, they kind of want the sales guy to return their phone call. And if you're in the air fl- teaching the last guy that you sold the airplane, how to fly his plane for the next two, three days, it's hard to respond to the phone calls that are coming in for the next sale. Um, so it, it was more so, um, you know, conceived to like help just support sales. Uh, I needed sort of a flight school to support sales. And then the secondarily, a lot of times people would call me and say, Hey, I see you have this airplane for sale. I'm in town in Las Vegas and I just want to fly a Cirrus. I want to go over the Grand Canyon. I want to, you know, experience some of the beauties that, that we have right here. And of course I can't do that with a, with somebody's airplane that I'm trying to sell. Um, so it, I, knew that I needed to have an airplane, have a couple of flight instructors. Um, and that was sort of the original idea was cater to transient customers and take care of those local people that needed some, some training after they bought a plane and it's blown up. I mean, uh, we now have uh, 17 airplanes. Um, we've got 13 flight instructors. Um, so it's, it's a pretty good size uh, flight school uh, by comparison. And, and all of the stuff that we have, is late model Garmin equipped uh, glass panels, air conditioning. You know, it, it, these are all uh, nice, nice airplanes. So uh, we we don't compete with the with the rest of the flight schools that that are a race to the bottom. We are sort of delivering you know a, a premium um, experience and a premium product. It's interesting that you mentioned that race to the bottom because I think that that is unfortunately. Um, a big part of a lot of flight training schools in, in my own limited experience and research that I did when I was going around, I looked at a few different places and it always seemed like they were 
trying to cut corners and cut costs, maybe not necessarily in safety, but just in various parts. And it just kind of gave you that feeling of, geez, I don't know. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, somebody rolls into the parking lot wanting to learn how to fly on the Range Rover. The last thing that they want to do is walk outside and see that, you know, the, the seat is held together by duct tape. And that that's sort of like the normal, you know, uh, flight school uh, that, that has 40, 50 year old airplanes. So uh, we, we, we really, we just cater to the, to the guy that wants to maybe one day buy an airplane. And if, uh, if everybody else wants to pay a premium for a premium product, nice airplanes, standard as instructors, world-class facilities um, we're, we're the, we're the only game in town. So um, we're, you're going to find us and we're going to deliver, you know, a, a, an experience unlike any other um, for sure in town. Uh, but I think really kind of all over the country, to be honest with you. You guys offer something that you call destination training, which I think is just so cool. I mean, when I did my my flight training, it was north of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and we took off from the little city center airport in downtown Edmonton. We followed the highway west out to the practice area, which was this area out over a farmer's field, and just boring, nothing exciting about any of it. Meanwhile, you've got this training that's going on over some of the most scenic areas of the United States, which is just amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, you told me earlier, well, what, why did you stop flight training? Because you couldn't see yourself doing anything with it, right? Uh, because most schools take off, fly around in a circle and never leave the same airport that they originated from, uh, with the small exception of like the one time that you're regulatorily required to do so. Um, so I think attrition happens as a result where people just sort of fizzle out because it's it's not what they envisioned. Uh, what most people envision is what I envisioned when I was a kid, right? I want to go somewhere. I want to see something. I want to do something. I want to learn while I'm doing it. So we'll go places like Sedona for, for lunch. So we're doing a flight lesson that way, uh, doing a flight lesson on the way home, actually make it into, into an experience, go to Los Angeles, go down to Havasu, go up to, you know, Zion national park, um, go to these places that once you become a pilot, what do you want to do with that pilot license? You probably want to go to these kind of places. Um, so actually training uh, with, with sort of your end goal in mind um, is, is the means with which we get there is, is sort of our, our main focus. And it should be noted, too, that if somebody wants to essentially walk in off the street with you guys and do a, a familiarization flight or a, a sightseeing flight, I mean, that's something that you guys offer. That's something that they can do with you. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no rule that says that you're not allowed to fly over pretty places when you're doing discovery flight. Um, you, you can take off and go over Lake Mead, check out the Hoover Dam, um, you know, enjoy the, 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 the freedom of flight, um, you know, get a feel for what it is to, to be at the controls of the aircraft. Um, but yeah, you're allowed to look out the window and see some pretty cool stuff. And that is definitely, we do a lot of that, right? When people want to combine, hey, I want to fly the new million dollar Cirrus and I want to go to the Grand Canyon. Um, I've always wanted to, you know, put this in my logbook and you're going to be sitting next to a flight instructor that knows the airspace, that knows the airplane, that's going to teach you how to do it. And, um, and you're going to land and um, have that sort of pinnacle moment and, and put it in your law book. And I think be very, very proud to, to go home and tell your friends what you did. And uh, it's, you're not sitting in the back pointing to where the cool stuff is. You're 
piloting the aircraft to take you over these cool places. And it's, that's what makes us a little bit different. You've got 17 planes in your fleet and all relatively new late model aircraft, which, as we touched on before, set you guys apart from a lot of places out there that are operating airplanes that are 20, 30, even 40 years old. Um, And I took a look at your website. There's some really awesome stuff in your hangar that it would be great to for anybody and not just an aviation enthusiast, but for anybody to be able to go see the sites and, and not just see the sites, but actually get their hands on the controls and, and give it a go. Yep. Yep. So our, our low cost option is our 172s. Uh, they're Cessna 172s, but what's different about ours is that they're all hangered. They're all service center maintained. They're all G1000. They're all, you know, detailed after every flight. These are, these are nicer, you know, 172s. Um, the rest of the fleet is all Cirrus. Um, and every one of the Cirruses has air conditioning um, as standard. Um, if you're familiar, um, maybe your listeners are not, but they all come equipped with a with a parachute uh, for the whole aircraft. So if if um, safety is a concern for, for some, they'll pay a premium to, to have that parachute option. Uh, but we have um, different models that go different speeds and carry different amounts of weight. So it depends on what what ultimately you're looking to accomplish. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, you're flying a, you know, a, a million dollar airplane, uh, for, for rent. Um, so it's, it's kind of, you know, I, I liken it somewhat to, you know, people that come to Vegas and they rent a Lamborghini to drive up and down the strip, you know, they, they, they just want to do it and, and try it on. That's, that's a little bit of what we're doing in the, in that regard. Uh, but they, they, those people do have a, a unique interest in aviation, right? Most people don't just do it. Uh, they don't stumble into it. Um, they, they, they've always wanted to fly an airplane. They've always wanted to, to, to give it a go. So uh, they're doing it in the best. So what's next for all in aviation? I mean, you guys have done some expansion over the last couple of years. You've added some facilities. What, what's, what's next for you guys? What's in the future? Um, Gosh, uh, we'll, we'll probably add a few more airplanes. Um, what, what we currently rely on is, uh, is a maintenance partner that does all of our maintenance for us. So I think that we'll probably try to expand into that space um, is, is to be able to, to not just do the sales and the training and the rental, but also to maintain the airplanes. Um, so that's where I think I'm going to spend a lot of my uh, focus, but it's um, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I would say that in a lot of ways we're doing, we're doing some fun stuff. Customers love it. So we're, we're going to, you know, tweak it a little bit, but we're not going to totally reinvent the wheel. Uh, we'll, we'll keep the fleet modern. Uh, we'll keep our instructors very standardized and, and very, you know, specialized, I guess. Um, and, and just make sure that we're differentiating ourselves from everybody else. If people want to pay all in aviation a visit, either uh, in person or virtually online or with social media, how can they go about doing that? Yep. So our, our main new location that opened in 2020 uh, in the middle of COVID, uh, right, where we've got uh, 26 hangars here, uh, brand new 30,000 square foot uh, f- main facility uh, is at the Henderson Executive Airport. Um, that is just uh, from the, the Las Vegas Strip. It's probably like a 12 to 15 minute uh, Uber ride if, if that's how you're getting around town. Uh, but it gets you away from all the airline madness. Um, and it's, it's the private airport on the south side of town. We do have a North Las Vegas location. I would say that it's not as well suited for a transient person that's coming from out of town uh, just because we don't have the, the beautiful facilities that we do here. 
but we do have two locations. Um, so that's, that's something to highlight. We're at allinaviation.com is our website. Um, and we're both um, Facebook and Instagram for, um, for, for those social channels under All In Aviation. Excellent stuff. Paul, thank you so much for taking time to uh, jump on and have a conversation with me here today. Really do appreciate it. And uh, next time I'm in Vegas, I'm going to swing around. You're going to help me embrace my my inner aviation nerd. I'd love to show you around. Uh, take you flying. Let's uh, let's get you in the air and, and show you what this this beautiful city is all about. So thank you for taking the time to, to visit with us. And uh, yeah, hope to see you in person here. <laughs> Once again, if you want to learn more about Paul and the team at All In Aviation, jump on their website at allinaviation.com or like them on Facebook at All In Aviation. And if you want some very cool pics from some of their flights, follow them on Instagram at All In Aviation. Of course, you can find all these links in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcast so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production. Walker New Media.